All right, all right. Go ahead and wrap up those conversations. Come on back, and, and uh, we're just going to spend a little bit of time studying the Word of God. So if you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. It's near the end of your Bible. You can kind of see where it is. It's kind of hard to find because it's not that many pages. So um, you can also Google it on your phone, 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about leadership today, and, and, and what we realize, Peter is writing to an audience who is facing persecution, and they're facing hardships, and they're confused, and they're discouraged, and why is it so hard to follow Jesus in these places? Uh, why are people against us? And, and Peter's going to talk to them about how, yes, it's hard, but Christ also suffered, and, and then we get to chapter 5, and he says, and God has also put uh, leaders uh, in your local congregations to ha- help you navigate these times. So we're going to talk about that, why God appoints leaders, um, what those leaders are called to, how that affects you even now, and then we're going to ask how do you critique leadership and how do you follow good leadership. So we're going to talk about all of those things today because they're all important. And to start, I just want to talk um, just about two questions. Why does Peter l- wait till the end of his letter to address the elders, and then, and then why should I care about what this has to say? How does this affect me right now in 2020? Um, wasn't it so different back then, uh, 2,000 years ago? So we'll, we'll talk about these two questions to start. But before we do that, uh, let's actually read the passage with those questions in mind. Here we go. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Peter's talking now. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Would you pray with me as we try to unpack the word of God? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to come together, even though uh, not in ideal circumstances. Not as we would like, God, but, but we're just still so thankful that we have um, your word, that we have community, uh, that we're not alone uh, in this time, in this season, in this city, God. And so would you just connect us in a powerful way? And as, as we uh, unpack this, this text, God, would you just um, open our eyes and, and our ears and our hearts to understand, you know, what's in this for us? Like, like why am I sitting here listening to this this morning? What are you trying to tell me, God? How are you trying to shape me and form me into the image of Jesus? Just, just help my friends, God, and, and even help me. Uh, help my words be from you that I might um, speak truth and it might stir up the affections of, of all of our hearts for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Uh, we pray in his name and by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, okay, so first question. Why does Peter wait till the very end of his book to add this little charge to the elders. Well, the first reason, I think, is that the elders are going to be the first ones to experience the persecution that that Peter has just talked about, the suffering 
that he's just talked about. So he's, he's just said, it's going to be hard. Uh, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. And you are going to be the ones that take the first step of initiative. That's what it means to be a leader, to take initiative. You're going to be the first ones to take a step and, and take on the brunt of the persecution and the suffering that we've just talked about. You're going to lead by example, uh, Peter's saying. And so he leaves it right here, um, uh, right after the section on suffering as a Christian, because he wants to say, elders, it's your job to lead the way. It's your job to lead the way. A good leader is always ready and willing to absorb the first blows of any storm. This is what Jesus models for us, and this is why Jesus is the chief shepherd, as the passage has said. Now, that's important to remember. When we're talking about elders here and leaders in the church, they're always underneath the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. So, so every, every elder, every shepherd in a church is an under-shepherd because Jesus is the true shepherd. Uh, but he does give authority to others in order to lead his church and his people and his mission in the world. So that's the first uh, reason why Peter waits till this moment. Um, he's saying, you're going to have to lead by example. I don't know if any of you watched the uh, Michael Jordan documentary called The Last Dance. I was a big basketball player, gave really the first half of my life. Uh, that was my first love was basketball. And so I've been watching it. I've been loving it. Michael Jordan was sort of a hero of mine growing up, had his posters and everything. And uh, there's something he says. I'm definitely not saying he's a perfect leader. He's not like Jesus, okay? Um, even though in the documentary they talk about uh, <laughs> Jesus, or Michael Jordan called himself Black Jesus. So, uh, but one of the things he says about leadership, you can't, you can't deny that he was a good leader. Um, one of the things he said was that I never asked anyone to do something that I wasn't already doing myself. Uh, Michael Jordan was notoriously hard on his teammates, but he says, I never asked anybody to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. And I think that's a great principle of leadership. And Peter's saying this, you know, this is really the first group that he addresses after he talks about um, for several chapters about the persecution that is just part of following Jesus. He says, now elders shepherd the flock by being an example, taking the first steps. Uh, so that's the first reason why I think Peter puts it here. The second reason is uh, Peter's basically saying, hey, elders, even though you're taking the first step and you might take the brunt of persecution, um, all these people in the church, they're going to experience various trials and suffering, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for them. And, I've, and, and God has given you to be under shepherds. He's given you to help them, to give them assistance and guidance and protection it's your job to help them achieve what God has planned for them. And what does he have planned for them? Turn with me to the beginning of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter tells us this. Uh, he starts his letter by kind of giving us the thesis. He says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes in when tested by fire, may be found, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about when Jesus comes again. 
Jesus is, is now, as we talked about in the Ascension series, sitting at the right hand of God, but he is coming again and he will redeem all of his creation. He'll rule and reign right here from planet Earth. And so when Jesus comes again, our faith that was tested by various trials will be to Jesus a great, uh, will be great praise and bring glory and bring honor at the coming of Jesus. This is a great moment that the people of God have to look forward to. And Peter's saying, it's your job, elders, leaders, whom God has called to help people get there, to help them persevere, though tested by fire, help them not lose their faith, but continue to walk with God even through the hard times. So he's just got done talking about how hard it'll be. And then he says, elders, it's your job to, to take the first step, to model it, and also to help others do this well. Uh, that's been the whole point of the book. And God is saying, I'm giving you helpers. I'm giving you leaders to help you accomplish this very hard thing that I'm asking you to do. Um, one of the things that, one of the ways I love to describe leadership is those who have unique influence. So if you have unique influence, you have to ask, how am I supposed to use it? Being a leader is not just having a title, but it's having unique influence. And with great and unique influence comes great and unique responsibility. And so being uh, an elder, being a leader in a church, is, um, it's a weighty thing. Actually, let me show you this uh, verse. Um, Hebrews 13 talks about this. And Hebrews 13, chapter 7 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, and those, uh, those leaders will have to give an account of each and every person that God's put under their care. So it's a weighty call to be an elder in a local church, to be a leader in a local church, because we will give an account to God for each and every soul that God puts underneath our care. And Peter's reminding them of that. This is a serious deal. You have significant influence and significant responsibility. And so figure out how to use it well. Take it serious. And um, if you do, good things will happen. So the second question then goes like this. Why should that passage matter to me now? Well, first of all, I'll say this. There's dozens of passages in the, in the New Testament that talk about this leadership structure in a local church. Um, uh, God is going to call up uh, elders, is what the Bible calls them, elders, overseers, uh, pastors. Those three words are used interchangeably. He's going to call uh, uh, leaders up to lead the church, and that's clear. And it's in every church, it's, it seems to be the model to have multiple leaders uh, leading in a plurality of leadership. And so um, this seems to be a part of God's design. But um, I think it's important, too, when we're talking about this question, to lament, to lament the fact that things aren't as they should be that power is abused. <coughs> Excuse me. Power and authority have been abused since the very beginning of time. And we lament that. <coughs> we lament the fact. That we have very few examples of great leadership, very few examples of Christ-like leadership. Um... And it might lead us when we, when we go down and we think about all the abuse of power and all the abuse of authority. Uh, maybe you've been personally harmed 
by somebody in a position of power. Um, it can lead us at times to think, well, maybe it's just best to live my life with no authority, to be my own authority. Uh, perhaps, um, but I think to answer that, we have to ask, is authority inherently bad? And the place to go uh, for me to answer the question, when you're, anytime you're talking about is it something inherently bad, uh, you need to go to the very beginning of creation. You need to go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when we see uh, that God has made a world and he's made it inherently good. And, and so we ask, what is part of that world? And if you go to Genesis, what you realize is God creates a man and woman um, in his own image, um, in his own likeness, and in doing so, he gives them real agency, real choice, and um, he tells them to come under his authority. So he says, I've given you all the trees, but there's this one tree. Um, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, it's understanding what's morally right and wrong, and, and I want you to come to me for that. I want you to come under my authority. I want you to come to me if you have a question about what to do and what not to do. And, um, and, and then he does another thing. He actually gifts man and woman their own authority over all other created things, over the animals and over the plants, and, and says, you now have authority like I have authority over you. You have authority over all of creation. What a gift. And um, he says, go ahead, lead, rule creation, and make as much beauty out of of creation as possible. And so what we see, I think uh, authority is inherently good. It's inherently good. Um, but you don't have to get very far in the book of Genesis. You only have to go one more chapter to chapter three to see that when authority becomes disordered, things go terribly wrong. Adam and Eve, even though they're supposed to be underneath the authority of God, they choose to come out from underneath the authority and be an authority unto themselves. Now, uh, if you know the story, you know that uh, they are um, helped along by the suggestion of uh, this serpent who is actually the uh, embodiment of, of a fallen angel who himself was under God's uh, rule and reign and authority and, and chose to come out from underneath it and it led to his fall and he comes and he suggests, hey, Adam and Eve, you should do what I d did. You should come out. God's trying to suppress you. He doesn't want the best for you. Just come out from under his authority and you'll see how great it is. And so they, they take his advice and they choose to, to take of the tree that God says not to and they take their own authority and things deteriorate from there. Sin enters the world. The relationship with God and man is broken. Uh, they're cast out from the garden. They can no longer be in the presence of God. And all of creation is now infected with a disease and, and it wars against each other. And uh, it's just, it's not a good thing. And so even though authority is <clears throat> inherently uh, good, not inherently bad, it's also inherently corruptible. And so that is why we see so many corrupt forms of authority in our world. <coughs> so it's corruptible. <clears throat> so we must be careful how we use our own authority, <clears throat> how we use our own power, and we must be careful, I think, not to discard authority altogether. Because... 
If God designed it, everything that God designed, he designed for a reason. If he designed authority to be a part of his world, then when we try to remove it from the world, the world will not thrive as it was intended. You say, I don't know, Dave. I kind of think I've made it this far without really coming under authority. Trust me, I know. I was, talk to my parents, I was classic anti-authority. I would always think I had the right way to do things. And so I get it. But to be honest, that worked for me because things in my life were pretty easy. Things in my life were not so bad. And so I want you to think about times like COVID-19, what we're going through right now. Times like these. Aren't you glad that there's leaders and authorities, leaders in the medical field, leaders in politics. Um, aren't you glad that there, there, there is authority over you that can help you in times like these? That there is stimulus packages helping to soften the blow? <clears throat> aren't you glad that there are leaders and authorities in times like these? I think actually it's times like these that remind us that uh, God in his love and um, sovereign plan puts us underneath authorities for our good, for times like these. It can be really easy when things are swell and hunky-dory and life's going pretty good um, to think, oh, we don't, we don't need authority. But when things hit the fan and life gets really hard, we are reminded that uh, God in his grace has put leaders over us and authorities over us because we do need help in times like these. This is what Peter's audience was going through. They were going through times like these, even harder than this. They were being persecuted and jailed and, um, and killed even for their faith. These were hard times. And Peter's reminding the leaders that you have a job to do to help people through these hard times. And, 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 and people, you have a God-ordained leaders that are here to help you through times like these. Um, it can be hard to, to remember that uh, leaders can be good and authorities can be good um, when things are going well. But when things get hard, you are reminded. Um, I thought of a, a story uh, that's a good example of this. I have a friend in, in the church that I used to go to, and um, she was married, and her husband um, was unfaithful to her, and um, was in a relationship with another woman, and she didn't know what to do. She just waited for a while, hoping he would come to a census. He never did. And so finally she came and told uh, the church leaders, and the elders of the church um, heard her and then stepped up for her and confronted her husband um, in, a, in a really important way. And... Um, although he did not repent and come back to his wife, uh, that the elders stepped up for her and then came back to her and, and, and could tell her that, that the word of God releases her from that covenant. That gave her the freedom to know, one, um, that she was free to, um, to separate from her husband who had abandoned her, and two, that she wasn't alone, that there were other uh, leaders in her life that would come alongside her in what would become the most difficult thing that she'd ever been through. 
And so it's in times like those that you realize it's good to have leaders who care about you. Um, when your marriage is going great, of course you, you think, I don't, I don't need any help in this. But when things go south, you realize God has put other people there uh, to step in those gaps for you. And I do hope that, that um, most of us never experience that or experience times like these often in our life. Uh, but when we do, and if we do, God is telling you, you are not alone. It is not every man, woman, or child to fend for himself or herself. Uh, it's a whole community of people, and it's leaders that God has ordained and he has called to step in and to step up for you. So that's why it's, I think it's important. Um, in times like these, we might just recognize God's grace through leaders and authorities. And um, that doesn't mean uh, that it's easy. <laughs> it doesn't mean that um, it will be easy to understand how to express this in a local church. Uh, but this is what God has done. And, and times like these remind us uh, that it's good to have uh, people who care um, over leading us through hard times. So um, let's unpack this text and, and ask and see what Peter says to leaders, okay? First Peter 1.5 says this. So because times are hard, times like these come, um, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as, as a partaker in the glory that is, is going to be revealed. And, he, and here's the imperative now. Here's the verb for this whole section. He's saying, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is his exhortation. I exhort you, Peter says, for those of you who are elders. Of, and remember, these letters were passed around. So each local church had their own elders. He's saying, I exhort you to shepherd the flock of God that is with you. Now, this word shepherd um, is referring to, of course, shepherding sheep. Shepherding sheep, which is really common in Israel, is a, especially in the Old Testament, lots of uh, imagery um, about how God is the great shepherd. He's saying, I want you to be under shepherds and I want you to watch over and herd and tend and, and lead uh, to food and water God's sheep and keep them away from danger. And, um, and, and then he says, and I want you to, to shepherd the flock of God. Of God is so important here. It's not your flock, it's God's flock. And he is just hiring you to tend to his flock until he comes, the great shepherd, back again. And so it's God's flock, it's not your flock, um, but I want you to feed it and care for it and, and take care of people uh, in my name. And so now you got to remember Peter uh, had this very famous encounter with Jesus um, that is surely going through his mind here when he's exhorting these other leaders to shepherd the flock. Uh, if you... I want to just read with me in John chapter 21. Uh, John is writing the account of after Jesus' death and resurrection, um, he's spending time before his ascension with his disciples, explaining to them everything uh, that he's accomplished and everything that will come next. And, and he's sitting down with uh, Peter and he's having breakfast with him and he gives them these famous words. So I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, John 21, verse 15 says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, Then feed my lambs. 
Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said this a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So this um, call to shepherd and feed God's people uh, is probably just this memory is ringing around in Peter's ears. And he's saying, I'm going to say to you what Jesus said to me, feed Jesus's sheep. And the main way to feed and what elders should really focus on is teaching people the word of God. This, this is what people need to feed on if they're going to be healthy, if they're going to survive, particularly in times like these, feeding on the word of God. So that's why we teach through the Bible. It's, it's something that's so important uh, because it is the primary way in which elders care for the flock of God. They feed God's sheep. Now, the last part of this statement that's so important is the flock of God that is among you. Here's what this means. Um, uh, elders are specific to the local church context. So, so every elder has a group of God's flock that they are responsible to and for. And um, that doesn't mean since I'm an elder at Sedaris that I'm the elder of every Christian walking around in Seattle or around the world. I can't knock on somebody's door and say, hello, I'm an elder. Uh, you need to do what I say. Uh, of course not. Um, uh, Peter's saying, the flock that is among you, the people that God put under your care, who have chosen to come into your church, that's the people that you need to elder. And that's really important and, and should give us um, great peace. So if uh, an elder of, of the clowns over at Westboro Baptist Church show up at your door and, uh, and say, hey, I'm an elder at Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, I've got something I'd like you to help me with. Uh, you just slam the door in their face and you say, uh, <laughs> you're not my elder, and you walk away. So uh, only the leaders of the elders of the church that God has brought you into, uh, only they are called to shepherd you. So it's only the flock among you. That's important for people to know and, and to remember. Um, so, so we'll get to the rest of this passage in just a second where uh, Peter will contrast good eldership and bad eldership. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I just want to jump uh, over that to what Peter says. If you elder well, um, there is a reward for you. So I just want to I'll look at this. So uh, verse 4 says, And if you do this, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a beautiful promise to leaders. And, you, you know, I, w I wanted to just say this real quickly. If, if you have leaders who lead well and humbly and, and serve and shepherd God's flock, um, do they get some special reward in heaven for that? I don't think that's what Peter's talking about. I think he's referring back to what we read uh, in chapter 1, that unfading inheritance that all Christians get. Uh, Peter's just reminding the elders that, hey, if you do your job, uh, you won't miss out on that great promise that God has given to all believers. And that's really important to understand. Um, being an elder or being a leader isn't, um, it's a great privilege, but it's not uh, for some great um, 
additional reward. I don't think that's uh, true. I think what he's talking about here, this crown of glory, is the, the crown of eternal life. And so when we do the things that God asks us to do, whether, whether that's to be a leader in a church uh, or to be a great employee at an organization, um, when we do what God asks us to do, uh, we can be assured that one day he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, and we'll receive uh, the great gift, the crown of glory, which is eternal life and resurrected life in God's kingdom. So, uh, lead my people, Peter says. Uh, lead God's people, Peter says, um, and do it well. And um, and this is and, and and this is your reward. Um, so so now the question becomes, um, what part do we have in this if we're not a leader? What part of this passage do we need to pay attention to? Well. Um, I'm going to say something that might be interesting to you, uh, and I'm going to tell you that it's part of your job to critique church leaders. And that might be surprising to you. Um, We do live in a culture that seems to be specializing in critique, uh, particularly critique of authority and leaders. Um, Many people make seven-figure salaries just critiquing authorities and leaders. Uh, we all were great critics of authorities and leaders when we were teenagers, and um, many of us have had bad bosses, bad teachers, bad presidents, bad coaches that do deserve honest critique and even, yes, criticism. And church leaders are not, um, they're not removed from the need of this kind of evaluation and, and critique and, and even criticism at times. Um, we don't get passes just because we are doing God's work. Uh, But the question I want you to ask yourself is this. Um, Whether it's with bosses or teachers or presidents or uh, coaches or elders of the local church, here's the question. How do you use your power? How do you use your power as critics to glorify God? You see, I think God does want us to to not just blindly follow. Um, He wants us to be critical thinkers but how do you use your power as a critic to glorify God? This is a question uh, that we need to wrestle with. And I'm not going to talk about how you use your power to glorify God when it comes to these other types of leaders and authorities in your life. I'm going to just focus on uh, in the context of the local church, leaders of the local church. How do you use your power as a critic to glorify God? So uh, what are the criteria that you could use to evaluate church leaders, particularly elders, and, um, and, and use that power to glorify God. Now, let me just say this, just to help you as we're talking through this list of, of things. Um, right now at Sedaris, Ryan, uh, Pastor Ryan and myself are the two elders of the church. And we've moved really slowly uh, since founding the church because uh, we got some great advice that is, don't put people in positions of authority until they prove that they already have uh, unique influence. And so we very slowly uh, waited and watched and, and we're excited. In June, hopefully, we're going to um, reveal uh, to you candidates to be both elders and deacons, uh, to be a part of our senior leadership team. We have a senior leadership team made up of elders and deacons, uh, each with unique responsibilities. And, and we've got about five or six people that are hopefully going to be Uh, We're going to be presenting to the congregation uh, for review. Uh, That'll be coming in June. So you can just be praying for that. That's very exciting that God has raised up leaders in our midst. And so we're excited. But for right now, um, 
I'm just going to leave it to me and Ryan thinking about us as elders. Um, how can you uh, think about evaluating and critiquing our leadership? Because I think Peter's telling us to do that. He's telling leaders to critique themselves. And I think it's fair then to say uh, those with the power to critique and to speak into how they're being led, I think, can also uh, glorify God. So here's the criteria that you can ask. Number one, are they themselves, these leaders, underneath the chief shepherd? Do they have a relationship with Christ? Do they seem to love Jesus and, and care most about him and what he thinks? And one of the ways to tell that is, are they subject to the word of God? Um, Jesus was the word in the flesh, and this is the word of God written for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspiring the apostles and the prophets to write the text of scripture. So are they subjected to the word of God, or are they a law unto themselves? Do they just kind of make stuff up. <laughs> Look for that. Ask that. Are they underneath the chief, chief shepherd? Number two, uh, do they seem to be leading from godly desire and will? So look at verse two here. It says, um, second part of verse two, it says, uh, or it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, just as God would have you. So here's the idea. Um, do they seem like they're just doing it because they have to? Maybe it's just their job or, gosh, I got a degree in theology and I don't really have any other skills, so I've got to do this. Or do, they truly, do you truly sense in your leaders that they're leading from a place of calling, a place of uh, are they willful? Do they feel like this is what they're supposed to be doing? Uh, number three, do they seem to be leading with true joy and eagerness rather than greed. Look at uh, the next clause of verse 2, saying, uh, leaders uh, shepherd the flock, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Eagerly is this idea of like a joyful excitement, like I'm so lucky that I get to do this job. Now, just to be honest, I don't always feel lucky to do this job. This job is really, really hard, but um, I, I do get joy in getting to shepherd the flock of God. The opposite would be, it, it seems to them that they're greedy for all sorts of things. Greedy for fame, greedy for uh, cheers, greedy for control, greedy for money. And, and Peter says, absolutely not. Those who God has called, he has also given a joy to eagerly lead. So a good question you could ask a leader would be this. Would you still do this job if they stopped paying you? Would you keep doing this job if they stopped paying you? It's a great question to get at the heart of this evaluative criteria. Okay, number four. Do they lead by example or do they lead by fear? So look at verse three, it says this. So when you shepherd the flock of God, do it not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, being examples to the flock. So I'm sure all of us have experienced fear-based leadership. And if we're honest, at times it can be effective, um, but it is not godly. It is definitely not godly. And all you have to do is look at the example of Jesus. Jesus was not a fear-based leader. 
Jesus led by example and leaders of his church and his movement and his kingdom must be like him. So lead by example, not by fear. Number five, do the leaders act like stewards or do they act like owners of the flock? Great question. Um, Excuse me. Okay, so elders and leaders, they're just passing through. They're giving their gift of leadership, their sacrificial time and energy for a time to God's possession, his flock. So you got to ask yourselves, are, are they acting <clears throat> like they have true authority of their own? Or are they acting as if they speak on behalf of Christ's authority? And a, a question here, are they encouraging you to take it up with Christ the King? Or are they only ever um, discussing things with you as if they have their own authority? Um, so good leaders will remind you that it's ultimately with with Jesus that you need to wrestle with your questions, and they're there to help you do that by helping you understand what the Word of God teaches. So, number six, <clears throat> are they multipliers or are they diminishers? So, real stewards of God's authority always empower and unleash God's people to mission and kingdom builder building. That's what multipliers do. They take and, and they multiply what God has given them. So God's godly leaders, they are always giving agency to all of God's people. They always are giving agency to all of God's people. Um, Diminishers are doing the opposite. They're holding things so tightly, they're micromanaging, they're stifling God's kingdom uh, because either they thirst for control or they are controlled by fear. So we're looking for leaders who are multipliers, not diminishers. Number seven, do they take responsibility or do they blame others? We see in the Garden of Eden um, that corrupted authority blames others. So if you know the story of the Garden of Eden, as soon as as, as Adam and Eve uh, rebel against God and they take authority into their own hands, as soon as God comes and confronts them about it, uh, they just start blaming each other. So Adam blames Eve, says, Eve made me do it. And then Eve says, the serpent made me do it. And then the lamb gets slaughtered to make loincloths. That's the sequence of events. Christ-like leaders take responsibility, even if it's not entirely their fault. They'll step in and they'll take responsibility. Godly leaders aren't constantly blaming others. And finally, number eight. Ask the question, how do leaders use their power? Power is so important. Do they use it to influence for the good of others? Or do they use it to influence for their own gain, their own control, their own fame? Power is so important because it's real and it's dangerous, but can also bless it can also bless. So uh, example, uh, maybe you've had a boss like this. Does your boss take credit for your ideas? <clears throat> you come to him with a great idea and then he presents it at a meeting as if it were his own? Or does your boss give you credit? Even maybe for ideas that were his but that you executed or for ideas 
that were yours, but he executed or she executed. So um, does the leader use his or her influence to lift people up, to give people credit, uh, to move them along, or do they only use it to lift themselves up? One is Jesus' way, lifting others up with him. One is Adam's way, lifting himself up at the expense of others. So, um, it's okay to critique. You need to critique. It's part of the power that you have uh, to make sure ungodly leaders aren't gaining more and more influence and leading people um, in bad directions. So, um, if you've done your critique, if you've done your evaluation, then what do you do next? Well, first, let me just say, remember that no leader is perfect. So, so grace and mercy are also a part of the power that you have. Grace and mercy are also part of the power that you have. So remember, no, no human leader is perfect. And, and so if you notice something um, that's not quite right based on this criteria, gently and lovingly bring your concern to the church leader. So you might say something like this, like, I've noticed lately that you don't quite lead with the same joy that you used to. Is, that, is everything all right? How can I be praying for you? Now, if, if you do that, if you lovingly and gently bring your concern to the leader and then nothing changes, um, bring it to the attention of other leaders and just, just tell them I've been noting, noticing this. Now, if still nothing changes... Or if you see so much deficiency in so many areas uh, on this criteria, I think it's a good idea to leave. I think you need to leave, but hopefully when you leave, you tell the leaders why you're leaving so that they can let the Lord use that. Whatever Whatever truth is in that, the Lord can use that then to maybe open their eyes just to how deficient their leadership has been. Now, what should you do then if you discern that the elders are trustworthy? Even though imperfect, they're trustworthy, they're in process, but uh, you think it's a wise and edifying move for you to participate in this local church. Well, look at verse 5a. Uh, first half of, of, of verse 5 says this. <clears throat> Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So if you do your critique and you realize these leaders are are Uh, ordained by God and we feel like God's with them and they're pursuing God's mission Uh, Peter says be subject to the elders if you remember a few sermons back in first Peter chapter 3 go back and listen to them uh, Peter also talks about be subject to the government officials be subject to your employers be subject to uh, each other in the marriage relationship and that same Greek word is used here it's the passive imperative uh, for the word to subject And it's really saying subject yourself, passive imperative, meaning you have the active uh, agency to put yourself underneath the leadership in the church, underneath the elders' leadership. They can't force you uh, into uh, submission. They can't force you to be subject and to follow their leadership. Uh, But if you choose to, God will bless that to further his kingdom uh, hopefully to bless you and, and hopefully to bless the leaders as they attempt to take the glory of God to all the nations. And so um, 
That's what Peter says to do. If the elders seem to be doing things the right way, then follow their lead. Now, only do this. Let me make, just say it again. Only do this if the leadership is worthy. Don't close your eyes. Always evaluate because not all leaders are to be trusted. If I start leading in ways contrary to what Peter says and, and many of the other uh, verses, go look in First Timothy and and in Titus, you can find all sorts of qualifications for leadership. If you sense that I'm not leading, definitely don't just follow me blindly because I'm an elder at Sedaris Church. But if you find that God is calling you to Sedaris and he's giving you the strength and the courage to come underneath the leadership of the elders, and to, to follow the lead and to put your wind into the sails of the mission at Sedaris. If all parties understand and accept their unique parts to play in the body of Christ and the family of God, and look here at the second half of verse 5, and everyone, clothe yourself, all of you, that's leaders and non-leaders, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we all understand our part and we all clothe ourselves with humility, then jump forward with me to verse 10. Look at what happens. Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And church leadership is part of the way that he wants to do that, to help you persevere through times like these and through every moment for Christ's glory and for your good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for not leaving us to fend for ourselves. Thank you for all the leaders that you've raised up in my life that have come over me. Thank you for giving me the courage to come underneath their leadership and, and listen to them and follow their guidance, God. I would not be where I am today and, and the man I am or the husband that I am or the father that I am um, without their leadership. And so I just praise you and thank you for, for not uh, making me figure it out on my own, God. And I just pray that you continue in, in me, uh, break down any pride that keeps me from hearing the voices of others that want to, to help me find life and, and growth and transformation, God. And I pray that for my friends too, like help them to see who are the leaders that you're putting into their life so that they might thrive and grow and accomplish all that you have planned for them. God, we truly do want to, to, to be your family, your body here on earth and accomplish your will in the world. God, help us as leaders of the church to be the right kind of leaders, to be humble, to be servants first, and to shepherd the flock of God. Give us strength and courage to do that well. We pray this in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.